Liber all Valegas, subfigure 220, as delivered by 93-18-666. We could simply say I have action. A magician, uh, the magic cults of the 8th, 9th, 10th, 11th, 12th centuries in the Middle East were fascinating. The only modern work that has anything to do with them is trifle wild in spots, but it's fascinating work in itself, and that's work written by Alastair Crowley, the late Alastair Crowley, my very good friend. He did himself a splendid piece of aesthetics built around those magic cults. Uh, it's a very interesting uh, reading to get a hold of a copy of a book, quite rare, but it can be obtained, The Master Therium. The Master Therium by Alastair Crowley. He signs himself The Beast. Mark of the Beast, 666. You're listening to Canary Cry Radio. Now here are your hosts, Basil and Gauntz. Hey everyone, and welcome again to Canary Cry Radio. Thanks for tuning in this week. My name is Basil. Hey, this is Gons. Uh We have a special guest today. We have a fellow brother in Christ. Um, he grew up in California, right where we are, and uh, graduated from Berkeley, up at um, Cal Berkeley, with a BA in history. Uh, he's got a law degree, and um, he's the author of The Prophet of Evil. He also has a DVD called Prophet of Evil. It's a documentary and Occult Hollywood. And he runs the website occult911.com. It's uh, William Ramsey. How you doing, William? Doing great. Thanks for having me. Well, we wanted to uh, just uh, ask you, what what got you into this research? Uh, a lot of your research is based on this character named Aleister Crowley. What led you to explore the dark regions of uh, this man? Well, I... Uh I was really kind of an independent researcher. I was I was very much disenchanted with kind of what we would call the mainstream media. And uh, so I was doing my own research. And uh, when the events of 9-11 happened, uh, after a couple of years, I realized that the full story that the government was telling us about the events was not, uh, in my opinion, the total story. So uh, I started researching that. I realized that uh, what the government said or the Bush administration said about how the event happened could not be correct. But I also started to notice uh, kind of these numbers that kept popping up. Uh, the 11 was the most prevalent one, uh, but also seeing 93 and 77. And I also began to see them just kind of in my common day-to-day life, like they would be on somebody's T-shirt or in a movie. And um, that kind of led me back into researching where they came from, and they led me to Uh, the doorstep of Aleister Crowley, somebody I didn't really know a lot about. Uh, I had a very topical understanding. I knew that he had been referenced in like musicians by Ozzy Osbourne has a song, Mr. Crowley. And I know that I'd seen him on uh, the Beatles album, uh, Sgt. Pepper's, but I didn't really know much. So I really started reading. And when I started reading Crowley, um, I realized this is a very complex character, but also a very evil person. And uh, I saw that his ideology and what he thought about the world uh, definitely, in my opinion, influenced the events of 9-11 and what we would call the New World Order. And thus the, the title of my book, Prophet of Evil, Aleister Crowley, 9-11 and the New World Order. I, I approached the subject from a Christian perspective and um, I really tried to, to read all of the source material. I actually started out reading the biographies and then going from the, the biographies about Crowley to the source material, I realized that the biographies are very biased 
And uh, so, well, I, I think that bias is kind of innate or inevitable. People, some people are really pro Crowley, but what I saw uh, was very evil and uh, malevolent, and uh, that's what led me to, to kind of write it down in a book. So I started writing it. And I published the first version of the book in 2010, and the second just came out. Uh, last month, as a matter of fact. So I added uh, another 50 pages to the original text and about 60, 60 pages of pictures that really, I think, wow. kind of give people an idea that this is a, a real person uh, who really dedicated his life to really being a, a, a servant of the devil. Uh, he said himself that he wanted to be uh, his right-hand man or um, his, his chief of staff is the actual term that he used. Right. And wow. uh, he he really uh, he really set out to do that and dedicated his life to that. Well, wow. I, I've I've read a little bit of Aleister Crowley's own writings, and I recall this is probably a year and a half ago. I was I looked at just some of his writings to see, um, you know, what it was about, and it was really kind of difficult to parse out. It just seemed like his language was almost cryptic. Um, is there something is there a way that you kind of were able to decipher what he was talking about did you just have to really dig in or is there a, a method you use to try to understand what he's talking about well that's interesting you said that because it took me a while as well i didn't really understand anything he was saying my first you know pass through some of his stuff uh he definitely what i learned is that coming from the occult tradition he used what are called blinds so he used a lot of um metaphor and um allusions to other works that kind of were difficult. He also inverted his kind of, like a Christian would say Lord or his capital H-I-S, but H-I-S, but Crowley would be referencing his Lord, which is uh, the devil. So at a first pass, you would think that he's talking about something in a Christian tradition, but he wasn't. And also he, he borrowed, he grew, he came up and really, he was a very intelligent guy, very gifted, uh, and he came from Cambridge, right at the apex of the, the British Empire. Uh, so he had kind of access to all this new knowledge. But right after he graduated from Cambridge, he went to this a magical fraternity called the Golden Dawn, which is very similar to the New Age. The Golden Dawn uh, basically was a, a grouping of Masons like who had passed beyond the 33rd degree. So they were beyond Masonry who then compiled all of the occult material that they could find into one kind of uh, working magical tradition. And uh, so they had all this stuff from Egypt, the Kabbalah, tarot, uh, you know, ideas that had not been kind of put together until that, that latter part of the 20th, uh, 19th century. And that's what Crowley referenced. So he has all kinds of strange statements from Egypt and, you know, uh, different words. Crowley was good at, uh, he, he, he was pretty masterful, apparently, at Greece, Greek and uh, Latin. So there's all kinds of Latin things in his writing. So it is hard to, to get to, to really parse through there. But, um, you know, once I started, I, I put a list together of all the works that he wrote. And, you know, I have in the book a, uh, basically a, a glossary for all his words and what he meant. And, uh, hmm. you know, he said, that, yeah, he said that he wanted to create a new religion. I mean, and he really did. He really put together a kind of a workable re religious system for his followers. His AA, which was his magical fraternity. It right. sounds, it's a uh, uh, Astrum Argentum, which is the silver star, which references the moon, was really this kind of composite of all of his ideas that was, 
uh, he would allow people to to go up the grades uh, with with uh, independently. So he he really did, and, and he based all of his kind of writings and he called them books, Lieber Eleven, etc. These books that uh, are basically put together based upon his idea of mathematics and magic. So uh, that's pretty. That's that's really fascinating. I mean, what you're saying here, and especially what you're referring to at the the beginning here, is it brings up a lot of really fascinating connections. Um, but before we get too far ahead, I I I understand that Alistair uh, had a really interesting childhood, and and for those of us who aren't as familiar with um, sort of the occult and, and Alistair Crowley's works. Um, why don't you give us a little bit more of a background uh, sort of on where he came from there? Great. Uh, he was born in 1875 in Leamington Spa in England. Uh, he passed away in 1947. He was, he was raised up. He was the only child of a fairly wealthy family. So he was, uh, you know, doted upon his father and or his family adhered to uh, a, uh, a Christian sect called the Plymouth Brethren, but they were an even more kind of fundamentalist approach called the Exclusive Brethren. So they were a subpart of this group, and uh, Crowley really became a student of the Bible. His father would go uh, take uh, in, uh, Christian pamphlets out and, and proselytize on the English countryside and take Crowley, uh, young Crowley along with him. He really adored his father, and uh, his father passed away uh, when Crowley was 12 and left him in the care of his mother. And uh, she, he kind of rebelled against her. And that's really how, when he kind of turned against Christian faith. He actually said that he had a perfect understanding of the Christian faith. He just decided that, you know, that wasn't for him. So he, he uh, openly acknowledged that, you know, he was going to move away from that. And he had a, he had a perfect understanding of the Bible. He wrote uh, in the future, he would write all kinds of uh, interesting kind of missives about the the shortcomings of the translation so he really had a very specific understanding but anyway so he went to cambridge he passed the entrance exams uh so he was studying at this you know probably one of the best uh, alongside oxford one of the best universities in england at that time at the really the apex of the the british empire and um and he had money because when his parents passed away he had money he was able to travel he became a rock climber and uh, he traveled the world climbing mountains. He was able to circumnavigate the globe twice uh, in an era when, when travel wasn't as common. And uh, like I stated earlier, the, his introduction, he was really interested in secret knowledge. And his introduction to that was through this Golden Dawn group that included a lot of illustrious figures of the late 19th century, including William Butler Yeats, who uh, uh, you know would become a, a very well-known poet uh, uh you know poet right yeah he he sort of seems like this uh early 20th century just i don't know he's just he's a smart guy he's rich he is sort of adventurous but which is something that seems pretty uh you know attractive in in the normal uh scheme of things but he's just this really evil dude and you sort of look at him and you can there are so many pictures of him that are just like whoa this guy is uh kind of intense yeah and he really dedicated himself to it like he he you know said he was you know white hot on occultism and he really set out to 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 really achieve in that uh in that field 
Wow. He, he never really worked a job in the normal sense. He, he relied upon his family money until he was in his late thirties and then uh, kind of sponged off his followers for the rest of his life. But what that did is allowed him to really read research. I call him a literateur. Somebody else could call him a man of letters, but his writings are voluminous and he really was a kind of an automatic writer in a lot of ways. He was able to just publish and publish. Yeah. Right. And so you were mentioning before uh, how prevalent he was sort of in pop culture and um, he he seemed to have a lot of influence. I mean, how did a guy this uh, sort of blatantly, I don't know, evil become so influential? I think that what he, you know, he distilled his, uh, his doctrine into one simple 11 uh, word statement, which is do what thou wilt shall be the whole of the law. So Crowley, wow. Crowley state, you know, wanted to profess this, this doctrine of freedom that is attractive to certain people. You know, he always uh, associated to in bohemian circles where people were experimenting with new ideas from the East. They're experimenting with uh, drugs you know, which are forbidden in, in like, uh, you know, the Bible is pharmacia, but there's, there was still was drug use at the early, you know, the end of the 19th century, early 20th century. Uh, and so I think that both bohemians of these, these eras all referred to him. So my research on Crowley, you know, led me to the people who followed him, people like um, L. Ron Hubbard, who was a, definitely an OTO devil worshiper. Uh, John Lennon was influenced and the Beatles are influenced by, by, uh, Crowley, uh, you've got um, Timothy Leary, who openly said on a uh, television show, which I've seen that he was carrying on Crowley's work and he, hmm. everything Crowley did. I mean, here's Leary, this kind of uh, Johnny Appleseed of drugs, getting up in the morning, reading the tarot, throwing the I Ching, which are these sticks that are supposed to predict, you know, uh, you know, what you're supposed to do today or, you know, and I don't really understand it. I don't, I never emphasize the practitioner of magic. I kind of try to take an objective, uh, kind of more historical view of the subject. I really don't teach people how to do any of the magic stuff. So, you know, that was something I avoided doing the stuff. But anyway, Leary, Hubbard, Jimmy Page was a huge follower of Crowley. They, he bought, Jimmy Page of, of Led Zeppelin bought Crowley's house in Bulliskin in Northern uh, Scotland and it's all the way out. I mean, so it's Crowley, Crowley what, how I, how I got back to Crowley and what I saw were these numbers, you know, that I was talking about earlier, 11, right. 377, 175, 11 was really his, his number is a master number. There was uh, the founder of the golden Dawn wrote a book called occult numbers and their mystic virtue and explained how 11 was like a number symbolizing death, destruction, and also magic. So 11 was something that Crowley really did. He actually changed the spelling of magic. And this is something that's specific to Crowley from the kind of cat in the, I mean, the, the rabbit in the hat magic of uh, M-A-G-I-C. He added a K to it. The K is right, right. Yeah, right. And I think um, anybody who sort of looks into the occult or any sort of... Uh, yeah, well, magic. Um, we'll find that spelled out like that sometimes with the K, and and uh, it's that, that's sort of the sign that you're sort of dealing with some some more sinister stuff rather than uh, something playful. Correct, and you know, Crowley was a malevolent person. He he was a wreck. I call him a wrecking ball. I mean, he was all his followers either committed suicide, went insane, had 
alcohol problems. I mean, it was he's really just a mess. And he himself was a mess. I mean, he was a heroin user, uh, and he had some really strange behavior. I mean, he was perverse personally and in his in his work. But the K is something that can be led back to Crowley. That was kind of his innovation, the way that he included that. And it's interesting. Another person that he influenced was uh, J.K. Rowling. So J.K., that K that she put in the middle of her name, uh, and she's the author of the Harry Potter uh, books. Uh, that K was an invention of her. She does, her middle name is like Emily or something, but she put the K in there uh, intentionally. And K, again, is the 11th letter of the English alphabet. And Harry Potter's 11 letters. Harry Potter started to go to Hogwarts when he was 11 years old. And his uh, his wand is eleven inches long, so she clearly knows. And in the philosopher, the first book that she wrote with the philosopher's stone, Crowley wrote a, a poem about the philosopher's stone. It's a concept of coming to human perfection, but it's a concept of uh, coming to human perfection without God. So it's like the selfish internal thing, and and it, it uh, you know symbolizes that kind of rebellion. Uh, Right. Yeah, we we've talked about that a lot on on this show and um, just some of the research I've done into reading a lot of esoteric and occult authors. It's definitely a theme. Um, you read uh, Manly P. Hall is a perfect example of talking about how the perfection of man is the first thing you want to try to attain, uh, and then everything else good will follow and stuff. But uh, it's interesting you brought up the J.K. Rowling thing because uh, the whole Olympic opening ceremony with a giant Voldemort in that big wand, you know, I'm, I'm curious to see if someone can measure that, if it's got some sort of uh, tie-in with the number 11. But uh, before we jump into the numbers and the significance and, and specifically tied into the events in 9-11, I wanted to quickly uh, just run over why you think it's important for the Christian community to understand someone like Crowley, because I find it interesting that uh, someone that presumably seems to have had it all. Um, you know, you said he came from a rich child, a rich family, um, went to a private Christian school, all this stuff. Some of the things that, that seem ideal, it went so wrong in, in a sense, you know? So what do you think we can learn as, as a Christian looking at, looking at his life and what he turned out to be? Um, because, you know, I'm thinking about his influence and we talked about that. You talked about that a little bit, but, that's something that even the within the Christian world is kind of sought after, you know, the approval of people, the right. uh, externalization of their their whatever their products or whatever it is, uh, their ideas. Um, can you tie in kind of uh, what 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 do you think is the important thing there is for the Christian world to understand someone like Crowley? Well, I think that Crowley was in a long line of uh, I would say false prophets and also uh, false teachers and wolves in cheap clothing that have deluded people, Crowley promised, you know, everything. But I think at the end, a lot of his followers ended up realizing that it was just a big uh, con job, like a spiritual con job. And uh, so I think that learning for how their techniques and how they kind of attract people with promises of godhood, like Crowley openly said that he, you know, uh, was going to be a god, you know, and it goes all the way back to the Garden of Eden, you know. Right. And uh, so he... he thought he was a god i mean it was it's kind of ridiculous when you look at his his real life but you know this this promise and this this uh you know self-perfection i think outside of the bible is dangerous and i think it's important for christians to understand them i think that it's 
important to understand how they operate. And Crowley himself as kind of this really important figure, probably one of the most important occultists, like I say in my book, almost every occultist that I've seen goes back to Crowley. They either reject him or they're influenced by him, but they all go back to Crowley. And so for me, you know, especially when every individual has a choice, they can, they can, God gave, in my opinion, gave everybody free will to choose good or evil. And uh, you want to make sure you know what these evil people are up to and what they do. And that's why I think uh, studying Crowley is important for Christians, um, at least have a good understanding. I don't think, I think that if people see, read from Crowley in my book, that it's not something they would ever want to be uh, involved in. Right. Well, I mean, with things as influential as uh, you're talking about with uh, the musicians and, you know, J.K. Rowling and, and uh, Harry Potter, I mean, obviously what he had what was uh, appealing to some people. Right. Um, and yeah, so I mean, and especially with something like Harry Potter, where uh, it's it's actually sort of a divide in the church that I've seen, um, you know, is it? Uh, is it benign? Is it is it really so evil? And uh, I mean, what I'm hearing from you is uh, it is. It really is. It really goes back to the the deeper occultism of the mystery religion, and it goes back even pre Crowley to this Golden Dawn, and even you know. So the, the Golden Dawn referenced all that, but the Golden Dawn was the original. Well, not original, but the late 19th century uh, New Age group of very intelligent, skilled people. You know, these people were doctors and lawyers and important, um, you know, uh, Henri, Henri Bergson was a great philosopher in, in the late 19th century. His sister was one of the primary people there, you know. So these are like people who were influencing and want to bring in this era of magic. And the, the, in the you know, the head of magic is the devil. And there, there are evil spirits out there. And, uh, you know, you don't want to be deluded by that. And you can, and I think that you guys, even in a lot of your radio shows have shown, you know, people like Manly P. Hall, Alice Bailey, it's all kind of the same stuff. Yeah. And, you know, I, I'm just kind of realizing this too. Um, as someone that grew up without church, I, I grew up in a very non-spiritual home. And, um, you know, my goal was to be a rock star. You know, my goal was to uh, do the drug, sex, rock and roll. It was to... Uh, you know, become famous and all this stuff. And it's, I just feel it's interesting now that I kind of reflect on my, my past that um, without really acknowledging Aleister Crowley directly, uh, there was definitely his influence in my life, you know, without, again, without even realizing it, because I looked up to Led Zeppelin and Black Sabbath and, um, you know, all these occult uh, bands that seemingly kind of uh, externalized the occult and made it cool and made it fashionable and desirable almost, you know, and, right. and, uh, and, and it kind of, I always knew after coming out of, you know, after being saved, I always kind of knew that there was a, a default to some kind of evil. Um, but I feel like there's some clarity there with, uh, understanding Crowley's influence. Yeah. I mean, I think, uh, you know, I was in the same boat. I grew up with Led Zeppelin and, you know, I, uh, I was talking to somebody just the other day, like I feel conflicted because I like the music of Led Zeppelin, but right. Jimmy Page is a member of the OTO. Crowley be, be, uh, became a Golden Dawn member, then he started his own AA, but he also became the head of a German 
uh, secret society, which was similar to the Golden Dawn, called the OTO. Mm. And, uh, you know, they the OTO uh, still is in, 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 uh, around today, and Jimmy Page is more than likely a member of that. You know, so you have an OTO member who influenced all that music. Yeah, that's very interesting. I think it's fascinating that, uh, uh, and, and tying into the last question I had about why Christians should care, I think we, the Christian community is even being influenced without really knowing it, as Basil brought up with, uh, you know, with the Harry Potter thing and stuff. So, um, but let's uh, let's jump in a little bit with the, the numbers and the significance. Yeah. Um, what did you find? I mean, I, I've uh, I know that there's a lot of uh, connections with the numbers and with some of the uh, airplanes and just the various aspects of uh, of the 9-11 event on, uh, in 2001. Right. So, you know, I kept seeing all these things in uh, on 9-11 and, uh, you know, the date was in 11, but I, these 11 kept prop- popping up. What I, when I went back and found out that Crowley, that was an important number to, number to Crowley, you know, then I, he said straight up that 11 is the number of magic in itself. It's suitable for all types of operations. It's the sacred number par excellence of the new aeon, which is synonymous with the new age. And uh, also it references something in his most important book among all the books that he wrote was called the Book of the Law. It was a received book from the spirit world that he had in 1904. And that book referenced uh, the number 11 as well. So, you know, 11 just kept popping up for Crowley. Uh, You know, like we stated, 11th. you know, it's the K is the eleventh number of the alphabet, and thus is spelling of the word magic. And the number of the planes were uh, eleven seventy seven, ninety three, and one seventy five. Yeah, it's and, undeniable. Yeah, so those are those are the numbers. So eleven keeps popping up in the plane. It pops up on the date. the The towers are like a big eleven uh, in the skyline. They're one hundred and ten stories, which is an eleven. I mean, there's just tons of these. These these numerical and the and the, and the the twin towers were really kind of uh, they were built as almost a temple structure. I wrote something that's different than this than the book, but something about the temples of the Illuminati and the whole place. I mean, some people said it was there was references to the pyramids at Giza. Uh, there's a huge uh, brass ball at the very center of those buildings. It's called the Great Spherical Caryatid. It's really, and it's referenced interestingly in um, the the movie Fight Club. They blow up that ball and it rolls down. I don't know if you remember that scene. Right, yeah. right. That's the great spherical caryatid. The interesting thing is, it's not technically a caryatid. A caryatid is a a uh, uh, part of a structure, kind of like a column that's in the shape of a person that holds up a temple. But the fact that it's named a caryatid indicates that the designer made this kind of like a temple, modern temple structure. And that great spherical karyatid is copied in, in structures all over the world. There's like seven of them. So it's really deep, hardcore occultism. And, and a lot of that stuff's actually, there's a lot of even more interesting occultism at uh, the Rockefeller Center, 30 Rock in, in, in uh, New York, where they have a, golded, a gold gilded uh, version of Prometheus, you know, the, right. the Titan who gave fire, which is a symbol of uh, the devil giving fire to man. And that, that she, uh, what's her name? Uh, Madame Blavatsky, who, who cruelly really liked, he loved Madame Blavatsky and the, and the secret doctrine. He actually had, when he put together his kind of final works of 
what people should read. He actually used her vision of the voice. But Madame Blavatsky used Prometheus frequently in her works. So wow. anyway, so going back to the number. So 1177 was important to Crowley. It's, it's, uh, so it's 1177, 93, 175. 77 is the supreme number. It is a symbol. It's like half of the equation of Crowley for the Babylon. 77 plus 77. So if you see his, he has the seal of Babylon. It has two sevens at 77. You can see it in my book. But uh, it it um, basically, uh, interestingly to Crowley, 77 equals Oz, like the Wizard of Oz. Right. Uh, so that is also kind of an interesting deep occult reference. In Sandor LeVay's Satanic Bible, there are 77 names of the devil. So 77 was very important to Crowley. And the 93 is kind of something that's directly tied to Crowley. It's, there's really, it's kind of his own magical invention. But what he did, the Kabbalah is really important to Satanists and occultists. And in a part of the Kabbalah, something called the Gematria, where you take words and make uh, a numerical equivalent for those words. Essentially, each letter has a numerical value. Well, the two important words to Crowley and his, his religion is will and love. And in Greek, they're thelema and agape. And both of those words equal to 93 in his, uh, in his you know, uh, his use of the gematria. So a lot of times Crowleyites will sign their letters. And I have like a, something from Jimmy Page signed, signed 93, 93, 93, which is uh, essentially just a subtext. Crowley insisted all his followers... Uh, start conversations and end conversations in a, with the appropriate kind of collects, like religious collects, where it would be, you'd start off saying, do what thou wilt shall be the whole of the law, and then somebody would reply, love under law, love under will. So huh. it's the repeat of love and will. And you see that through all of his documents. It's, he starts off saying, do what thou wilt shall be the whole of the law, and then at the very end it says that. So they, people shorten that into just saying 93, 93, 93. So 93 is important to Crowley. And that's kind of what led me to Crowley as kind of the important person. And, and his ideology is also important. Uh, the under, my understanding of the New World Order, it's, it's essentially the same thing that Crowley wanted, which is a feudal order, um, you know, where, you know, there's a, there's a um, top of very well-educated aristocrats governing, you know, a mind-controlled uh, group of uh, essentially serfs. So. Right. You know, and that's kind of like the, the model of this new kind of uh, economic environment that we're in. And then 177, 175 is Crowley's, in his system, it was a way to invoke a deity by adoration. So it's an invocational uh, ritual. And I have a copy of that in my book. So, uh, you know, it's, it shows, it gives that element to the 9-11 event that there's an invocational element to it. It's trying to do something in some kind of techno, what I would call a techno-gnostic sense. So whoever devised that specific event put a lot of thought into it, in my opinion, and it was pre-planned long in advance. And, uh, you know, it, I, I'm, I'm beginning to think, and I, you know, I'm trying to I expand my knowledge a lot, but I'm beginning to think that a lot of these rulers, and it goes all the way back through time, a lot of them have very sophisticated uh, philosophers, magicians as court courtiers, you know, right. and it goes all the way back to John D. Whether it's the pharaohs of Egypt always had magicians, uh, or you know, and I think that somebody there's somebody out there who's who's definitely uh, you know has has people in power's ear. Whether it's it may be them 
reality, you know, it might be the people like the Bush family or something like that. And there's that whole Bush rumor. I don't know if you've heard of that, but that they're actually are the offspring of Aleister Crowley. Oh, that that's fascinating. Yeah, I was uh, I was actually going to say, did, do, does this lead you to believe that there are, uh, I don't know, agents of maybe uh, Aleister Crowley's uh, teachings in the White House, maybe as um, holding positions there? Or do you think it's the actual leaders themselves that w- would be following this uh, sort of uh, esoteric uh, belief system? Well, I think it might be both. I don't know. I know that like these guys, they they're in secret groups of all different types. What they're they're in groups that we don't even know. Uh, right. There are things that are publicized. What I've also I think that they're really kind of like Olympians is a term is a general term. John Coleman used about the Committee of Three Hundred, which is you know they have a different sense of themselves than than the normal you know. There's there's like an Olympic club in San Francisco. That's literally right next to and adjacent to the Bohemian Club, and uh, you know, so they're they these the elite of America are a lot different than we are. They have different contacts. Uh, it's it's really there's a lot more research to be done. Absolutely, are, are you uh, are you in the process of? Well, Some you know, research. yeah, I mean, I've, I've, I'm, just, I'm, I'm writing another book called The Children of the Beast, The, the People Who Cruelly Influenced. So I've done a lot of the stuff on Leary, Page, uh, L. Ron Hubbard. I followed his followers. There's people who are out there who, if you follow and, you know, kind of try to eyeball some of the, the kind of modern occultist interests. And there's this guy by the name of Lon Milo Duquette. It's his magical name. But he is a direct kind of follower of Crowley's follower by the name of Israel Regardi. Israel Regardi was Crowley's, um, one of Crowley's secretaries, you know, kind of not like, uh, kind of an educated secretary, I guess you could say. He compiled all Crowley's writings and his books and stuff like that. But he ended up, this guy Israel Regardi ended up at uh, Sedona, Arizona, which, you know, is a new age kind of central hub i guess and uh this guy lon milo duquette met him so you can see that these the cruelly is act you know the cruelism and his ideas go all the way through and it's just like um who else is the other guy sandor levey had connections to followers of one of another follower of Crowley was a guy that by the name of grady mcmurtry who ended up in berkeley of all places and uh, was in contact with LaVey. So the Church of Satan has you know, seen Crowley, and it just goes on. Marilyn Manson's a known Crowley follower. He's repeated all of his doctrines. He thinks he's a god, you know, all this other nonsense. So, right. um, you know, the, 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 the influence is, for me, was surprisingly vast. Like, it was something that was sub rosa, that wasn't really, you know, it was subliminal. But when I found out about it, then I realized, oh, this is really important because a lot of these people are influencing our politics and culture, you know. And, right. uh, you know, I think that that's why studying Crowley, especially for a Christian, is to say, watch out. And, you know, going back and kind of referencing the New and Old Test, the Old Testament, but it's particularly the new one, you know, there always are these these uh, witches and evil people that have had confrontations with Christians, whether it's Simon Magus, the Witch of Endor, uh uh, Ahab and Jezebel, uh, you know, so I think that it's to understand what these people are doing is important. And also, especially end times prophecy, you know, they talk about it's going to be in the times of Noah. And the, my interpretation of that is it's like 
things are going to get real dark, you know? So I think it's important to understand and be conscious of it and reject it because it is evil. And that's why I have the title of my book, you know, right. It's a, he's an evil person. Let me, uh, kind of flip it around, um, and ask a different kind of question as far as, um, I know that Crowley kind of used the scientific method to test the so-called spiritual experience. And, um, what would you say to someone who is maybe an atheist or someone who just thinks, ah, you know, yeah, he's influential in, in, in politics and uh, world governments and stuff like that. But, you know, um, all the supernatural stuff, that's just all drugs talking. That's just all his craziness going on. What would you say to someone that's very skeptical of sort of the, the actual supernatural elements to what Crowley did? That's a good question. Um, I think that Crowley was always trying to break through dimensions. He thought that the world that we lived in was a mere phantasm of a broader spiritual world. And he referenced that all the time. So he was always trying to, through ritual and through all his practices, reach and contact uh, entities to get information. And uh, whether it's emulating the, the, the Enochian calls that John D did, or whether it's using his his women for spiritual workings, or even his stuff that he did for the Book of the Law. He also uh, practiced the Abrelman magic and the magic of Solomon. He tried to do all that. So I think that it was a part and parcel of his behavior was to contact evil spirits. And so for people to um, you know throw that out of, of Crowley's kind of experience or what excuse me what Crowley wrote down I think is to uh, negate an essential part of his character it's much like uh, conversely you see that in the New Testament I think the spiritual realities of what happened in the New Testament are crucial to an understanding of uh, Jesus Christ and the apostles the miracles and the contact with angels and contact with the eternal father and, and all this knowledge is crucial to an under a pure and deep understanding of Christianity, not that Jeffersonian view where you got rid of all the spirit and turned Christ into a moral, you know, a moral philosopher, but somebody who healed people, who who did, you know, um, relieve people from demonic possession, who did, uh, you know, break bread and, and fill, the, you know, feed the people, and you know, all these things are crucial. And then, and the first thing Christ did is the first miracles at the marriage of Cana, where he turned water to wine. So I think that those type of spiritual events are crucial to, to understanding Christianity, and that the evil spiritual events are are crucial to understanding Crowley. Right. So. Yeah. Uh, go ahead, Basil. Yeah, you had mentioned his um, sort of contact with uh, evil spirits and things like that. And way back when we uh, sort of first started the show, I think it was episode four or something, we had talked about Lamb mm-hmm. um, being one of the entities that he came in contact with. What What's sort of the... Um, the deal with Lamb and his sort of uh, influence in, in sort of in the whole picture? Well, Lamb is a, uh, a being that he drew. There was a drawing that, that uh, he drew that uh, references this entity. And Crowley, Crowley was not just a writer, but he also did a lot of art and uh, painting and stuff like that. Uh, he had contact uh, with some extra dimensional entity in that. Well, 
me just go back. Two things I cruelly insisted upon when you first got started in his magical practices was to learn the Book of Correspondences, which was kind of a general world guide to all religions. And the other was astral travel. So Crowley was always good doing astral travel. His records of astral travel are voluminous, and uh, he was doing it all the time. Well, he had something with this entity, and this entity, he titled it Lamb, but Lamb is like a titular thing. Uh, it's a statement. Lamb means the way. Mm. So it's kind of like um, Lama, you know, an understanding of like the Dalai Lama. Right. So it's an honorific. Uh, well, this drawing that he did looks very similar, if not the same as what, you know, somebody would draw an alien today. Right. And, uh, so uh, this is pre-UFO discussion, pre-1945, pre, uh, you know. Roswell. So, uh, thank you. Pre-Roswell. Pre and it's, it shows to me, and this is something that I came to conclusion. I mean, I had spoken to Marzuli and some other people. I didn't fully understand that these evil spirits and UFOs were one and the same until recently. So anyway, it shows that the, the, the evil spirits that Curly is in contact with are more than likely, you know, this UFO phenomenon that's taking place all around the world. Yeah, certainly. That's part of um, one of the things that I tackle in my film, Age of Deceit, is the the connection between demonic possession and just encounters of demonic uh, influence with the UFO and abduction phenomenon. And um, there's a uh, man, I forget the researcher. He was actually a, a secular researcher that worked at a university that actually came up with. I believe Mac. it was, who was it? Mac, M-A-C-K. It might have been John Mack, but yeah, I think it was John Mack, yeah. Uh, he Didn't he come up with like, it was like 20 or 25 things that were similar uh, between the historic accounts of demon possession or de demonic attack or sleep paralysis and um, those experiences of an alien abduction. So very similar there. But uh, what kind of consisted of the actual rituals and and some of the things that he did what were the specific i guess the procedure of what he did in these in some of these rituals um because i wanted to i want to shed light on on people that are sort of in the new age and they believe doing drugs and stuff is part of opening up yourself to higher dimensions and you know whatever they believe as as um as being spiritual and doing drugs uh cuz i know drugs is part of just you know a piece of what he did but can you kind of explain the the procedures the actual steps that he took i mean maybe not specifically all the way down to the detail but just a, a general overview yeah he uh early you know he grew and and uh he referenced as many of the old uh magicians as he could you know from a more european perspective than an american would but he had access to uh, some of the his favorite writer was a character by the name of Eliphas Levy. He was the drawer of a kind of commonly seen picture of Baphomet uh, with the hand one hand up, one hand down, this goat headed kind of god. Uh, but that was Crowley's favorite writer, and he referenced him for his magic rituals. He also read all kinds of other old tomes that were being uncovered. One was a Bramble and the Mage. The other is the Goetia, which is the, the Solomonic uh, magic. Uh, the oldest document of that, it goes back to the 13th or 12th century. So it's kind of a legitimate grimoire. Grimoire just means like a magical grammar. Anyway, so he took all these things, put them into the, the Golden Dawn and, and ritualized them. So they would do all kinds of different rituals for different purposes. And Crowley would do that his whole life. But 
Uh, Crowley then learned, you know, started experimenting with drugs, mixed that with his magical practices, and then eventually uh, turned into his kind of sexual practice. So he would use sex, drugs, and ritual at the same time. And uh, he wrote all kinds of different rituals for different things. 175 was like his one for invoking a god. All the names of the god are like, uh, you know, other names for the devil. And uh, he also had a cross of a frog, which was a, just a shockingly anti-Christian uh, a ritual that emulates the crucifixion of Christ. So if anybody says that he wasn't a Satanist, uh, I recommend reading A Cross of the Frog, The World's Tragedy, or Libra 66, which is about child sacrifice. Um, <clears throat> so, you know, then he, so there were different rituals for different things. Um, and uh, it was always trying to break on through and find connection. His, his, you know, his primary person that he had connection with was by the name of Awas, which also in certain spellings equals 93. So there's another 93 tie in there. Uh, but Awas mean in Crowley's language means Lord of the Year. So people who are very familiar with uh, uh, the, the Bible know what that references. And eventually Crowley would just flat out go out and say that Awas was you know the devil i mean eventually he he didn't quite say that at the at the very end at the very beginning of a lot of his writing in like you know 19 uh you know the early 20th century but eventually he would say i wish i could let me find, see if i can find this quote he said uh the b666 is preferred to let names stand as they are proclaim that i was the solar phallic hermetic lucifer is his only holy guardian angel. See, so there's another blind. So he would call his holy, his Satan, his holy guardian angel. So, you know, so, and anyway, so, and the, let me start from the beginning. The B666 Crowley's preferred to let names stand as they are and pronounce that I was, the solar phallic hermetic Lucifer is his own holy guardian angel and the devil, Satan, or had it of a particular unit of the star universe. who made blah, blah, blah. He made gods of our race. He made know thyself. He's the author of wisdom, you know, and it just goes on and on. So um, anyway, so a lot of being back to your original question about rituals, um, they, they just always were about getting in contact with some other spiritual entity or something like that. And uh, that was really his goal is to try to get in contact and get gain knowledge uh, and, you know, gain insight and, and really uh, find self-perfection from you know spiritual entities who are essentially demons right yeah that's fascinating stuff and it's interesting the just the connections that just come out from everywhere um, it, even with uh, research that we have uh, heard from other researchers and scholars and and everything you say just fits right in with there so uh, it's really fun to sort of see this um web of truth just start to be spun here with everybody and their research um and their hard work is all coming together and it's great and um i'm pretty excited to be around for it here now as we come into uh, what a lot of people are seeing as you know we're we're getting close to the end here in terms of, uh, you know, biblical prophecy and everything going on with the government and the internet and things like this. Um, and 2012, I mean, how do you see, at least in your research and what we know about, uh, Crowley, how do you see that sort of fitting in here at, at the end well, as we count down? 
I mean, I, I, you know, cruelly at the, even at the very end, he was saying death to the Christians or Christians to the lions, you know? So I do think that he believed in persecution and persecuting, uh, people. And so I kind of see at some point that that's the way it's going to be for Christians again, just like it was in the first or second centuries, uh, persecutorial system where it'll be more difficult to get a job. It'll be more difficult to do certain things if you have this. And if you see, like the strain, of, you know, the strain of kind of our political leadership. A guy like Obama is just a straight. I mean, in my opinion, uh, has a very communistic bent. His real dad isn't from Africa. His real dad is a, was a communist by the name. I can't remember his name now. But uh, I mean, this guy is not a Christian. So I see that you know this kind of this kind of. Um, uh, movement away from this and into kind of Crowley's ideal worldview, you know, will be what what's happening. I mean, Crowley himself said the slave shall serve. Uh, he said, you know, there never was a better social system than the feudal so far as it strive from the patriarchal. Um, I mean, one of his other quotes that I have here is that, you know, we should have no compunction in utilizing the natural qualities of the bulk of mankind. We do not insist on trying to train sheep to hunt foxes or lecture on history we look after their physical well-being and enjoy their wool and mutton. In this way, we shall have a contented class of slaves who accept the conditions of existence as they really are and enjoy life with the quiet wisdom of the cow. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and that's just exactly what we're seeing nowadays. Right. And it's uh, fascinating to see that stem, uh, especially from his um, from his teachings there. And it really, really, what you're saying about his um, sort of influence over modern media and modern day. I mean, you can just feel it with just the the simple fact that um, rhetoric against Christianity is just uh, abounding everywhere nowadays. And it's it's such like a distorted, uh, you know, kind of vile, angry view too. It's just it's you know they they take like some kind of. Uh, nut job Christian and, and extrapolate that to all Christianity, you know? So you see kind of like this, I agree with this kind of rhetorical view. I mean, there's really is a lot of anti-Christian sentiment out there. I mean, you can see that even in the guy who's the mayor of New York, who's, uh, who's Obama's good friend. He, what do you say? You know, this, 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 that whole thing about chick, chick a filet and the, the validity of marriage. He said, these aren't our values. Right. Uh, I can't remember his name offhand. Yeah, Rahm Emanuel. Rahm Emanuel. Yeah, didn't he remember? say something yeah. like, uh, we don't stand with you or something like that with Chick-fil-A? But yeah, he made he made it a point to like be antagonistic toward it, but his values are totally... I mean, Chicago is the most corrupt city in the entire country. I mean, it's astonishing. So anyway, you know, another thing Crowley said is... Crowley was a original eugenicist too, so... You know, he and Hitler were fairly similar in their outlook, but he said, should we not rather breed humanity for quality by killing off any tainted stock as we do with other cattle and exterminating the vermin which infect it, especially Jews and Protestant Christians? So, he, wow. so yeah, so he wrote that, uh, you know, it's interesting wow. that what he, what he considered tainted were Jews and Protestant Christians. Wow. He thought that Roman Catholic was essentially pagan, so they were going to be allowed to be around, but... Uh, <laughs> Yeah. Wow, that is just fascinating and does not shine very well for the Catholic 
church. <laughs> here's another, here's another, nature's way is to weed out the weak. This is the most merciful way to. At present, all the strong are being damaged and their progress hindered by the dead weight of the weak limbs and the missing limbs, the diseased limbs, and the atrophy limbs. Christians to the lions, period. Wow. So that's what he Christians are weak. You know, and his, his ideas were the law, the strong. You go back to 77, you know, one of his, his kind of when he systematized his religion, this one book that he wrote is called Lieber 77, which is also called Lieber Oz. But um, in it, he says, you know, the slave shall serve, but it's important to, to get an idea of uh, his, his, his kind of mentality because he says, you know, calls it the book of strength. So Lieber Oz 77, the book of strength. But he says, uh, man has the right to live by his own law, live the way he wants to. Man has the right to eat what he will, has the right to think what he will. He has the right to love who he will. And then number five is man has the right to kill those who would thwart these rights. It's really interesting because, uh, you know, we read Second Timothy 4.3 and it says, For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but after their own lusts shall they heap to themselves teachers having itching ears. I can't imagine a better fit of that than, than Alistair Crowley just twisting everything around and making, you know, making the Christians be sort of the... The, the bad guys. Right. I mean, it, these, this is a very nasty character and his followers are nasty. So, you know, you know, it goes back to your thing. Why should we study Crowley? Why would she look at it? It's unpleasant. And I kind of go back to that same thing. It's better to know about it and avoid it than have it come upon you, you know, by surprise. So it's kind of like that whole concept of watching and, and being aware. And I think that most Christians innately are very aware, you know, just like in your movie about all these, false doctrines and these evil doctrines and the doctrines of demons. Right. Yeah, definitely. Um, it, it also makes me think that, you know, just, just hearing some of his words, it reminds me of the atheistic movement as well with guys like Richard Dawkins talking about, we should, you know, having an atheist rally telling them, telling the atheist community to go ahead and, and mock Christians, you know, I mean, it's just very strange how it echoes into even the presumably uh, scholarly realm of science, scientific materialism. You know, it's just, I don't know. It's very weird that it's permeated so much of culture. Well, I find it, it's interesting you bring up Dawkins because like, it's always the atheism. Why did they take the antagonistic view towards Christianity? Like, it's almost like they're out to get it because if you really believed in atheism, you would see all other doctrines as just a joke. You know, right. you wouldn't even have to fight. You wouldn't have to fight them. Uh, so I find it, you know, kind of like it's that duality or binary. Like it's either you're atheist or you're or believe in God or something. It just seems, and and also their their spite. You know, right? It's like spiteful. Why are you spiteful about it? Right, and it even comes down to, it's even just a part of the attitude as a whole, or the belief of atheism as a whole, because I mean, I even remember as a kid, I'm a pastor's kid, as uh, those who listen to the show know, and even as a kid, I was talking to other kids. I mean, we are in fifth or sixth grade, and one would be, you know, I had this one friend, and he's still my very good friend. Uh, we have a better relationship now, obviously, um, but he, I, we were in sixth grade or something and he had established himself as an atheist. And I don't know where this came from, but, uh, 
but and it was sort of the same thing i didn't really understand we talked i mean we were sixth graders having scholarly conversations but uh he had that same sort of it was more of a hatred towards christianity than sort of a scholarly um you know ascension above it yeah it's interesting that that's uh it's a good point. I mean, I don't know why that, that they're, they're like, uh, you know, like that. I would think that if you're truly an atheist, you know, uh, you, you wouldn't have that kind of like antagonism. And I've also interesting thing, like if you're truly an atheist, a lot of these people still have a moral code. Like for me, if you're an atheist and you don't believe there's a God or anything, I'd, I'd assume that you're basically free to do what you want. I mean, I would assume right. that your, your dog, your outlook on life is fairly similar to Crowley. Right. Do right. Will should be the whole of the law. Yeah, right. certainly. And, and what was, um, just, just to touch on this, what was his view on women? Cause I know there's some very, uh, uh, interesting views that he had on women. It wasn't good. Uh, <laughs> he really, he really did not have a good view of women. He saw them, uh, you know, he said some very desultory things. He always treated them bad, and he would abandon females at the drop of a hat if he found, you know, a better opportunity or something like that. But, uh, you know, there's one quote, like, women are a little better than farm animals. He really preferred oh, men. He was, yeah. he was, a bi he was bisexual, uh, but he found that women were worthwhile, I guess, they're more receptive to the spirit world or something like that. So he always, he called his women that he had scarlet women. Mm. And uh, he, to become one of his scarlet women, he would uh, he would essentially take a brand and brand a kind of circular diagram that represented all of the planets of the zodiac into their chest. Wow. Literally brand them like brand like you would brand a cow. Ugh. So Jeez. there are pictures of that that I have in my book of this like brand that took place. Wow. And he he would do all kinds of strange stuff. He he uh, basically turned his two front teeth into kind of like vampire teeth and would go and give people what he called the serpent's kiss and draw blood. I mean, he's a very strange guy. Eventually, after like he went, he started his own magical fraternity or grouping in Cefalu, uh, Italy. And after he was you know done with that, he he didn't done so much drugs and misused himself that he turned green. And like he, people would say he had a green skin color and uh, really dark shades under his eyes and his, his lips were all red and he took strange drugs all the time and he was a heroin addict. I mean, if you saw him on the street at certain times of his life, you would go, oh, this is a, this is a very peculiar person. <laughs> well, there you go, everybody. Uh, William Ramsey, uh, scholar researching Aleister Crowley and all of his um, shenanigans. Again, you can go to occult911.com and check it out. He's got his uh, book there. He's got his documentaries there. Check him out. Very, very fascinating, fascinating stuff. Uh, thanks again, William, for coming on the show. Really fun discussion. All right. Thanks for having me. I was glad to talk to you guys. Is there a way to contact you or any other places that uh, people can find your work? Uh, you know, it's all through, uh, Amazon. You can get all, most of my book, my book and stuff are available on iBooks, Amazon, uh, Kindle. Uh, so, you know, it's, it's all that you can contact me at my, my, uh, email is a cold nine eleven at gmail.com. If you have any other questions, but I think, you know, I put 500 book, uh, notes in the book. So 
most people can see what I read. I, I really over footnote and over reference the book so that, uh, you know, people can do additional research as they see fit, but they can tell that, you know, I, I, uh, I'm not just making up some phony narrative. Right. Well, I know a professor from college who would, uh, simply adore if, uh, I had been that, um, thorough, thorough with my footnotes in college. So I'm sh- that's very good. And, and it's great to be able to, um, look at, uh, where the research came from. So I'm sure that'll be appreciated. So there you have it, everybody. William Ramsey, check him out check out his books. Thanks again for tuning in to Canary Cry Radio. Thank you for listening to this episode of Canary Cry Radio. The show notes for this episode and many others are available at canarycryradio.com. Make sure to connect and like our Facebook page at facebook.com slash canarycryradio. Follow us on Twitter at canarycryradio. If you would like to share the show in video format, you can find us on YouTube by searching Canary Cry Radio. We would like to thank those of you who have given us your support, prayers, and donations. If you would like to join us and support Canary Cry Radio financially, you could do so by visiting canarycryradio.com and clicking the support tab. Thanks again for listening, and until next time, remember to think outside the cage. And before you go, you may have noticed something special about this episode. That's right. We had two guests. That's Mr. Cricket. You can hear him in the background. If anybody has any tips on how to kill crickets or peacefully get them out of the studio area um, using some sort of Christian method, maybe found in the Torah or some other extra biblical uh, writings, please email us at canarycryradio.com. Or if you enjoyed Mr. Cricket, give us an email at canarycryradio at gmail.com and let us know. We'll make them a regular. Thanks again for listening. Think outside the cage. Is that going to work? Yeah. I actually <laughs> I actually wanted to have the cricket just going for a while after you finished. <laughs> That's actually we get, good. We can get him to go a little bit longer if you want it. <laughs> <laughs> Why? Beast.